to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski, Buddy the Elf, Aaron Bruski. Ho, ho, ho. There it is. We have decided to be festive today uh, since we are recording on Christmas Eve for you lovely people. I am wearing a full-size Buddy the Elf onesie, so you can have that in your mind while you're listening to this podcast. I actually actually have the picture of that, by the way. He's not going to tweet that, people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't going to be one of those, like, if Aaron gets a thousand likes... No, it's not going to happen. If you guys retweet the podcast 1,000 times. <laughs> there it is. 1,000 retweets of the podcast. and I, I'll uh, tweet the picture out. There it is. There it is. Aaron is wearing an elf hat. Uh, you looking good. I, I, I'm going to go shopping for a onesie right after this. You need to. because I, I feel I like I'm a little left out. Yeah. See, I'm not a coal shopper. Sorry, Herb Cole. I'm not a, a coal shopper. And today I like stumbled upon Kohl's during Christmas, which again, my wife dragged me in. Uh, we had some last minute things to look for. And I ended up with like a truckload of, of stuff for like 200 bucks. It, that place is ridiculous during the holidays. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm done with all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm not going into public anymore. It's crazy out there. Kohl's, I, w- I was at Kohl's and people were like fighting, you know, to climb over each other to get in line. There's like 30 people in one line, and then like maybe two feet over, there was a place that only had one person in line. That that happens. You know, I also, I'm up in the foothills, and we've been getting hailstorms all day. I, I've already got like an accumulation of hail in my backyard and on my roof, and uh, it's 39 degrees. So you need a onesie on a day like this. And you know what, Aaron? Let's get to some King's news. Let's do, do it. Do we have anything? I, I don't know. <sighs> what would, you know, I don't know, people trying to flesh out the Joe Kim Noah, Taj Gibson oh, trade yeah. rumors. I've had a couple sources kind of ping me and say, hey, what's up with that? Yeah. But, and then the Karan Butler thing, I just find really interesting. We didn't talk about it last week, but I, I feel like that's um, kind of percolating in the background. Yeah, and- we got that going on. Uh, we've got the ridiculous DeMarcus Cousins rumors, which, uh, di- are you sure we didn't go over any of that last week? We did. We actually did touch on the DeMarcus Cousins rumors, because I think we both called them ridiculous. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay, so let, let's get into the show. We, we've drug our feet for almost three minutes now while, while you're warm in your house, opening Christmas presents, listening to us on your, on your iTunes without uh, you know paying attention to your family. We understand what's happening. It's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day while you're listening to this. So, Aaron, the Kings had a four-game road trip. Uh, and we'll just start the road to 33. <laughs> the road to 33. Aaron, they're on pace hey, I'm to win. winning. I'm winning now. They're on pace to win 33.93 <laughs> games. Aaron, your bet is looking better and better by the minute. Did I, you I'm... expect 2-2 two two on the trip? I kind of did, but I think everybody else has said it, and I'll say it again, is just maybe I should have expected this because whatever you expect a normal team to do, the Kings will do the precise opposite. So I did not expect them to win the games that they won and um, lose the games that they lost. Every day is opposite day in Sacramento. You're right. I mean, again, they lose on Friday night to Minnesota, and – I, I swear the sky was falling. The Kings fans were <laughs> were lining up like lemmings to to jump off the Tower Bridge into the freezing cold water of the Sacramento River. You could feel it. Everyone was so incredibly upset. And then they come back on Sunday, and they absolutely, you know, they come out of nowhere. They they punk the Toronto Raptors in in Toronto, and they surprise you. And you're like, oh my gosh. I think they're back on the right path. And so, again, you start doing the math, and it's like they're in a four-way tie on Sunday evening with, with you know, a bunch of teams for that ninth spot. The whole spot. Western Conference, basically. Yeah, and they're only one game out of uh, the eighth spot, and everyone's all excited. And then we get to Monday, and again, they just come out flat. 
They're back-to-backs, man. They're 0-7 on the season in back-to-backs. What is going on there? How do you go 0-7 on back-to-backs? It, it, none of this really um, makes a lot of sense because I think of the way that they win their games. They they do it in such a, a manner that it's going. it's designed almost to be inconsistent. Everything they do works against themselves. Um, they make everything harder on themselves, whether it's the <laughs> defensive situation or, you know, the offensive system. So they have these breakthrough moments because they're so talented in, in many ways that their talent overcomes their their systemic limitations or whatever, not even necessarily systemic limitations, but just maybe how much um, they're willing to work that given night. Whatever the case may be, whatever's holding them back, they break through so that you'll you'll see these you know these major lows and then major highs when they do overcome and say beat like a, a team like the Indiana Pacers on the road. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So they they finish up the the four game trip with the big win over Indiana. They get on a plane, uh, they fly back to Sacramento, and you know all is good, all is right in the world. They are now in a two way tie for the ninth spot, only one game out of the. Uh, the eighth spot in the West. And now you look ahead and we've got Portland on Sunday and then a back-to-back against Golden State in Oakland. I, I kind of feel like they're going to lose to Portland and beat Golden State. <laughs> but that would almost be too normal now. So, it is. It's a new So we got to go, we got to go opposite. They'll beat Portland and lose <laughs> to Golden State. I don't know. I, I, I mean, Portland has issues, but they're not as bad as everybody thinks. They've been playing a lot of teams tough. If they've got their guards healthy, then um, I, I don't definitely don't think it's a, an easy win for. The, I don't think the Kings actually have an easy win, uh, unless it's the Sixers. And even then, I don't know that I would go betting my house that the Kings would beat the Sixers on any given night. At least not with what we've seen so far. And the Sixers are up to like what one and thirty, one and thirty-one. So, it's they, something filthy like that. Them and the Warriors are mirroring themselves. <laughs> Just in opposite ways. Yeah, that is, uh, it's not a good thing. If you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan and you're you're wondering why your team is 1-30, um, I've got no answers for you. I, I think you may end up like, this might be the worst team the NBA has ever seen. It might be a four-win team. So I'm, I'm waiting to see the, the next shoe drop there. If Colangelo, Jerry Colangelo, who's been brought into. It, more or less clean house. I'm wondering how quickly we see Mike D'Antoni as the coach of that team. That's, well, I don't think that's going to help anybody because I think we've seen Mike D'Antoni as a coach of a bad team and it didn't work out. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. He doesn't coach defense, so <laughs> until he coaches defense, I mean, not kidding. Like some co- some coaches don't value it, and I mean, he he can sit there and talk about it, but is he going to bench a guy for bad defense? Yeah, he's, just, I, he's never done it in his career. He's also got some weird rotation issues that he's. Showing up when he was like playing Pau Gasol 27 minutes a game because Pau wasn't a guy that runs up and down the court a lot. You know, that didn't make a lot of sense. That makes absolutely no sense. D'Antoni, to me, he's he's been a guy who does really well when he has lots and lots and lots of talent around him. Outside of that, uh, he's been a below NBA standard head coach uh, with the Knicks, with the Lakers, with what, Denver. I mean, he's been all over the place doing substandard things. Yeah, but, you know, that's enough Sixers talk. Yeah, so when you're 1-30 in, in 30 and you're looking up and saying, please, Mike D'Antoni, save us. You're our only hope. Help us, <laughs> no, Mike D'Antoni. It's just funny. They're clearing out all of Hinky's guys. Like, they're getting rid of Tony Roten. That was one of Hinky's guys, and they're, they're trading for Ish Smith, who they should have. The thing about Ish Smith that was crazy is all the Philly beat riders were up in arms because he was so clearly somebody that they needed to keep. But because they wanted Kendall Marshall, because Tony Roten has to, you know, look good for Hinky, you know, they've they've stuck with those guys. And then the minute that Colangelo gets in, they're like, you know, peace out, Tony Roten, you're gone. That's not that's not a good sign. It's just not a good sign when you're banking on Ish Smith to uh, somehow save your day. So, OK, let's let's get off Philadelphia 76ers. The Kings have plenty of issues themselves. And we we know full well what those issues are most of the time, but now it's sort of a revolving door of issues. Uh, The rebounding issue that popped up against the Minnesota Timberwolves, actually it cost them the game. 
They stopped rebounding. They weren't able against a very young and athletic, but very, very inexperienced uh, Minnesota Timberwolves team. How do you get just thumped by 18 on the glass in a game like that? And I think, what did they lose by? Like four in that game. And all they needed was one or two offensive rebounds, and that game was theirs. Rebounding is almost all effort. It's it's really, I mean, you can be kind of bad at rebounding where you're not good at finding your guy, boxing out. Maybe you don't do angles of trajectories all that well. But really, at the end of the day, this is just how hungry are you to go get that ball? Um, or are you you know, gambling on defense and flying out of position? That's a big issue, I think, that the Kings have to address and then probably hurt them that night as well. But it's effort. And I think, you know, we saw after the Wizards game, you know, DeMarcus Cousins actually voiced his frustration with uh, George Carl's defensive system. And too often this team, you know, which has a history of doing this under the Ty Corbin, you know, era, when they don't like something, they stop playing hard. <laughs> and so I was going to say, like, Cousins complains, but it's like he stood like 40 feet away every time and like tried to figure out the defense as opposed to going and like partaking. So I'm not quite sure why he's the one. I mean, if you're going to complain about a system, maybe complain that you're not on the block in the block, you know, scoring a bunch of baskets. Maybe you complain because you're way out on the wing all the time. But when it comes to the defensive side, I mean, man, was it the, it was the, um, the game on Monday that they lost. He had, he had a huge, huge two-handed dunk against Marcin Gortat. And, I mean, he hung on the rim. It looked like a shack dunk. I actually, at one point, I thought, oh, no, the basket's going to, he's going to rip the, the rim down. And before DeMarcus Cousins, like, hit the ground almost, Gortat was on the other end for a dunk. I mean, literally four seconds into the shot clock, he is already racing to the other end for a dunk, and it was over. Yeah, I'm, I mean... In that game, that Wizards game, Jared Dudley had some quotes, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but it was more or less like we didn't know what the Kings were doing on defense and that it didn't make any sense whatsoever. And I think what they've done with the defense is probably too complicated for either you know anybody to pick up or maybe just too complicated for this particular team to pick up. And that's, you know, you really have to be on the floor in practice and, you know, nearby at the games to really, really know the answer to that question. But they're doing weird stuff. Aside from the switching, which we've been harping on all year. We have. They're doing a lot of off-ball zone. And there's also a lot of freelancing going on by Rajon Rondo. So you don't know if he's allowed to freelance within that, that concept, but it's literally killing them. And that's why they give up so many open threes. But, you know, for DeMarcus, yeah, if he's going to sit there, there was just there's a couple times where Marcin Gortat just whooped him up. There was there was nothing to do with the system limitation. It was just man versus man getting beat. Um, so, yeah, he yeah, got that, beat. He got beat a lot in that game, especially on the running down the court. And yeah, I the, think, the, the second night of a back to back thing. I mean, we've got to discuss that ad nauseum. I, I mean, they really I, I think George Carl, he has good intentions this is, you know, we've talked about this in the past. We're always like, hey, why do people care that George Carl just wants to win? You know, it's always been that weird thing. It's like people like pin it on George Carl. Well, he only wants to win. It's like, okay, well, w- what else would you like to do? Would you like to lose? I- I'm confused. You're an NBA coach. You're supposed to win. You-, you have an NBA team. You want them to win. And I think we're now kind of seeing a few of the reasons why people say that. Because an eight-man rotation in the first night of a back-to-back spells disaster, disaster the next night. I mean, Cousins looked, I, you know, honestly, if I were to like, if I were just to like make a horrible, like rash decision as a fan and say, oh, it looks like Cousins and Caspi and Rondo and Gay like went partying all night long. Uh, you know, after after the uh, the game against Toronto on Sunday, and then you know they flew into Washington and they they just got drunk and partied all night long. Well, here's the problem, folks. There, there's like nowhere they didn't even get in till like I don't know two o'clock in the morning or something. They just went right to bed. I mean, they woke up the next day and away they go. They were just dog tired. That's what it was. I mean, you watch Caspi, and he just 
he was so lackadaisical trying to catch passes and just turn the ball over. He looked exhausted. All of them just looked exhausted. And I think a little bit of it might be, Aaron, that they're running this eight-man rotation. And some of these guys just, again, we talked about this on the telecast the other night, Paul George hitting that 30-game stretch where, you know, he had that horrific injury and he barely played at all last year. And now you're kind of getting to the end of like a quote-unquote college season. And some of these guys are winded and they've they've lost their their legs. I kind of feel like the Kings, some of the Kings are in that, frame where on the they're in back-to-backs they just don't have enough energy and strength to carry through yeah you talked about you know each there's like maybe i don't know 10 to 15 quirks we'll call them that this team has and george has about four or five of them one of those is that he has trust issues and he has a way that he approaches player development so a guy like seth curry who has young legs who can come in and, and give some minutes um, maybe even a guy like Quincy AC. Um, I like, I like the idea of AC. Willie Cauley Stein before he got hurt. He's not willing to give them minutes because he hasn't, these guys haven't in his mind passed a threshold, whatever that threshold is. And in the case of Seth Curry, you know, we've seen Marco Bellinelli be terrible. I mean, just absolutely awful defensively. And really if he's not scoring and, and scoring in the right way, he can't really play the guy. And, he, and you saw in San Antonio, Greg Popovich would just simply not play him. And so it's it's hard to reconcile. It's one of George's quirks where he could really, if you're going to be, and I didn't look this up, but they were previously number one in pace. If you're going to be the fastest paced team in the NBA, guys are going to be tired. Now, I don't agree with the effort that they give at times. I agree. You know, I, I think yeah. there's, I mean... I think we passed the statute of limitations on DeMarcus Cousins running up and down the floor because he could be hurt. And if he's hurt, I think the Kings need to put him on the injury report. And they need to be very public about him being hurt. I know teams don't like to do that because they think the guys will start to target that injury. Well, he's but, already targeted, man. They already beat on him. Teams send guys in just to beat on him. I mean, you can... And that's the, the hard part with Cousins is there's obviously a lot of day-to-day impact that he takes. And as a bigger player, it's harder for him to run up and down the floor. And I got a good solution for that. Post the guy up 70% of the time. I mean, that, that to me, I mean, it's not necessarily the total answer to his issue, but I mean, running up and down the floor is going to, it's going to hinder any bigger player. That's why teams with guys like Mark Gasol, Zach Randolph, they haven't been running. They, they've resisted running. Well, I, I, in Carl's defense, if uh, if Cousins is complaining about running and, and you know you're telling him to go down in the post, I, I I'd point out that the arc is about twenty feet further towards the <laughs> defensive end than uh, than the we're, post. We're going to count the twenty feet now. Yeah, well, it. well, no, no, it's not twenty feet because you got to run there and then you got to run back. Another on twenty feet. It's really forty feet, Aaron Bruski. So you're wasting that that bit of it. Maybe I, we can maybe we could get a wheelchair for those twenty feet. He needs a lark. <laughs> he does. Or just what are those the new uh, scooter things? They, they could make like Byron Leftwich when he hurt his ankle in that one football game. The team could carry yeah, him the team one side. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to put Kufus in the game so he can literally like Yoda Yoda to Luke Skywalker just hop on his back and hey we're know. kidding we're kidding all we're right we're kidding yeah don't um, yell at us yeah it, it, there's an issue here there's an issue here that someone has to figure out and I don't know you know again they get three days off right here to get a break after a long trip uh this three days off isn't exactly the easiest three days we all know what the next three days are it's you know christmas eve christmas day the day after christmas none of that is going to be simple or easy or relaxing for any of these guys and then they jump right back into another you know back to back this is the nba schedule in a nutshell you can't hide from it you can't run from it It doesn't matter what team you are the only team that that just literally looks at the schedule and and aims a giant middle finger at it is the San Antonio Spurs. They just don't care. They always win regardless. I know, you know, they they have that stretch every year where they have like an 11 game road trip while the rodeo is in town in Sandy in San Antonio and they roll through every single one of those games and just crush people. I remember during the lockout 
uh, when we got out of their 66 games, but it was an impacted 66 games. So I think the schedule started like in January. And so you missed all of that, the one or two games in October, all of November, all of December, and then they, they cram. So what are we in game number 29, right? They just finished game number 29 before, before the new year happens, we'll, we'll hit game, what, 32 at least. And so here's my point. My game is that one year they started in January and they took, they only shaved off. What is it? 20 games. Oh no, no. Uh, 16 games. And you can see how big the effect would be. I mean, you're already 32 games into a schedule. And I think it was two weeks into January. We started that season and the Spurs had three, no four sets of back to back to backs and they swept all four. That's yeah. I, they're the only team in the league that ignores what's in the schedule and just plays. The Kings have to figure that out and just you know I, I heard Jerry Reynolds on the telecast the other night. He said the most important game for any team is the one you're currently playing. Yeah, and you know it. it it's you know George has got a. I've been thinking about this for like the last week. Is, is what is really the issue with this team? And, and could you condense it into one statement or sentence? And I, I think. George and the ownership both are trying to run before they can walk. And, you know, this team, you know, if we're talking systemically, if we're talking offense and defense, they're, they're trying to do too much. They're trying to, to be the smartest kid in the class, to run a system that can take advantage of DeMarcus Cousins, you know, uber skills. He can do everything and all this and that. And, when it comes to like the schedule and and how they approach, you know, who they play and, and, and why they play, it's like George is coaching like he's got almost like a four year leash and he does not um he does not want to give on certain things, whether it's giving guys additional minutes so they can have everybody else be rested, or if he um you know will will kind of give up on this system that has DeMarcus Cousins playing shooting guard and and, he is and kind run, of playing shooting guard if you yeah. somebody's got a I don't have time to do this but if you were to use the um the sport VU player tracking and just where he is on the court and if you were to track you know time in every spot maybe like make a heat map out of it he doesn't get below the three-point line on maybe half the plays they, they've been improving a little bit. It's almost like they're listening to the podcast or something because they keep throwing the ball into the post just a little bit more. Just teasing um, you. They're taunting you, Aaron Bruschi. Well, it's a good step. I mean, it, it's a step in the right <laughs> direction and you can see even when it doesn't work, it works because as long as he can catch the ball there, as long as it's not Rajon throwing the ball entering into the post because they're not going to cover Rajon and making that post entry pass is very difficult for them. But once he gets the ball in the post, everything starts working. The double teams come, the fouls come, um, guys are catching kickout passes and they're able to you know, beat defenders now because they're running in the opposite direction. It's easier to beat a guy that's not anchored down. But yeah, they're, they're, they're slowly getting it. But George, and you know, we're just talking about his quirks because there, there's plenty of other quirks that you know, are going on with this team, but he's coaching like he's got this four year rope to prove that this works and the Kings, they have to treat every game like a must win game because they're not good enough to not do it that way. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, the thing I'll point out too, when it comes to cousins and we keep harping on this, he doesn't get down low. Look, I'm going to come back to why they lost against Minnesota uh, even the Toronto game, the only reason that game was as close as it was is because Toronto actually out-rebounded them as well. Um, DeMarcus Cousins on the season, he's down about two rebounds per game. And defensive rebounding percentage, he led the league two years ago. Uh, and then, then last year, his defensive rebounding percentage was actually better than the previous year. Defensive rebounding percentage is 30.6 last year, 30.5 the year before. He's at 27.8 right now, and that's not dramatic. And, and But when you look at the offensive rebounding percentage, 10.8 last year, 7.8 this year. Overall, his total rebounding percentage, he's down 3.3%, and that's huge. 
That is a tremendous drop. You're going from one of the great rebounders in the game to a good rebounder, not even a very good rebounder. You're going from one of the top three or four rebounders in the game, and you're you're wiping out two boards a game. And a lot of that is because he's not in the post. So when you get into a tight game and things start to go haywire, like they did uh, on Wednesday when they they were in Indiana, you know they have a 15 point lead at the half. Everything's going so great. Everything's perfect, and then the wheels fall off the bus. A lot of it, I, I watched, like, Cousins came out, and one of the first baskets that he shot was, like, a lackadaisical 20-footer. He didn't get back on defense. He didn't rush in for the rebound. Uh, they gave up, boom, boom, boom. You know, the whole entire thing fell apart. I think it was uh, Indiana had cut the lead to, like, four in, like, three and a half minutes. I mean, it, it was already over, and you're like, holy cow, they're going to get rolled up and get crushed in this game. And then he the like the light bulb went on and he went down in the post and he absolutely destroyed them in the post, not just with the 25 points, 16 rebounds. That's how this team can be great when he is in the post, like dominating the entire side, the, not letting the other the opposition get a single offensive rebound. That is how this team can win. And that's what the other teams are afraid of because covering that guy in the post for 32 minutes a game is going to leave you bruised. It's going to leave you beaten and tired and in foul trouble. And these guys, every time he spends a possession at the top of the key, they they check that as a win. And there's not been – I mean, I think we, we get confused with process and results quite a bit. And when the Kings' talent overcomes the systemic limitation – People start to talk about, well, oh, the, the offense isn't the problem. You know, the offense is this, the offense is that. There hasn't been a stretch, maybe more than a quarter, where their offense has looked good. I mean, if we're talking fast break offense, I do think that looks good. Like, I'm, I'm actually quite pleased with what they're doing there. But just pure offense, pure half-court offense, there has not been a stretch where this offense looks good. They, they don't play off of each other's strengths. They have all sorts of weaknesses. The The defense isn't challenged or tested. I'm, I'm talking for stretches here. And again, this all comes back to, the, I think the thing that almost irks the rest of the nation about the Kings and why they get so much crap is when Vivek Ranadive bought the team, he came in talking a lot, a lot of, not trash, but we're going to be this, we're going to be that, we're going to be the best at this, and we're going to be the most innovative team that there is. And the implication there is that the other 29 teams haven't been doing that stuff. <laughs> and now you got George Carl saying, you know what? Screw the post. You know, and he's defiant about it. He, he's not willing to give in just yet that this offensive system that has DeMarcus Cousins as a screener in the spread offense, he's not willing to give in and say, you know what? It was a good idea, but we're, we're going away from it. And we're, we're going we're gonna to actually slow this thing down a little bit. I mean, you can go, you can look for your fast break. And if it's not there, you back it out. And if you want to give him the trailer three, give him the trailer three. But with the clear understanding is if that's not there, you go park your butt on the post and you spend 75% of your possessions taking post entry passes while your shooters spot up for three pointers. It's yeah. really that, it's that simple. I agree with you, especially the... Uh... You know, they start running all of these these hook screens and they've got guys running off of picks all over the place. And you're seeing Bellinelli take these Oh god. Realistically, either the worst worst fall away, falling sideways, falling backwards, falling forwards, falling wherever jump shots of all time. I mean, all of his jump shots are are ridiculous. Or he pump fakes. And then the defense just like surrounds him and then he doesn't know what to do. And, yeah. and it's like again and again and again. You know what I want to see? I want to see Cousins back down in the post. And I want to see kickouts to Caspi on the top of the key or Rondo, Collison, McLemore in the corner or Bellinelli at the elbow. That's what I want to see. Like a, I want to see DeMarcus pretend that he's Hakeem Olajuwon just for like a, a, a week Maybe maybe two weeks, maybe an entire season, maybe the rest of his career. I'm not sure, but I, I at least want to see it happen once 
because that to me, I mean, again, I Ben McLemore has taken a beating by Kings fans. They're so frustrated. Oh, he just hasn't developed. He hasn't developed. I'm just going to keep harping on this. Look, Marco Bellinelli shooting 39% from the field. He's shooting 32.6% from three. He is so inefficient. And, you know, we're talking about an offensive weapon here. We're not even getting into the fact that the dude doesn't play any defense at all. I mean, at all. His offensive rating on the season is a 101. That's bad. That's bad. And, I mean, especially when you match it with a defensive rating of 113. I mean, you can't survive with that guy on the court for long stretches. And that's why Ben McMore keeps getting a shot there. That's why Darren Collison keeps getting a shot there. My point is that I think they're using him wrong. And, right. And that's the point. It's not that it's not that DeMarcus Cousins is a 41% shooter because he's not. He's never been a 41% shooter except for when he was a rookie. It's not like Bellinelli is a bad shooter. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the game. But when you take him and you use him incorrectly again and again and again, you're going to see his stats suffer. And we're still waiting for that moment where the Kings figure out how to use their players. I mean, his PER is 9.9. I mean, that's just not who Bellinelli is. He's not a bad NBA player but he sure as heck plays like a bad NBA player for the Sacramento Kings about 70% of the time, and it's really shocking. And people will say, oh, it's not about the offense because they're you know rated 10th last time I looked about three or four days ago you know, in offensive rating. They say it's, it's the defense. You know, the defense is killing us, and the stats all point towards that. But you know, newsflash, NBA players care more about offense than they do defense. And when the offense is constantly ramming its head against the wall. Yeah. That affects every other aspect of the game. It's not supposed to, but the reality is is that it does. And you know, to to the point about Bellinelli, this is it this is where the flow system requires really high IQ basketball players. I actually not even talk about Bellinelli there or anybody in particular. This particular team because we're we're talking about a spread offense and a flow system they're just out there kind of like a boat on the ocean, just kind of bouncing around. Rajon Rondo is going to demand that he runs every play. So <laughs> what you get is you get high screen and roll with him and DeMarcus Cousins. Now that can be good if we're talking about as a change up to other action, you know, once, twice, three, four times per game. But if that's not the play, then they run Marco or whoever's at shooting guard or on the wing off those pin down screens. And the only way that Marco can score off of that is to take these flying fadeaways with his feet on the line. And it's not an easy shot. I think the best in the league is probably going to make that less than 40% of the time. Oh no, it's way less than that. And it's, it's way less than yes, that. It's inefficient basketball. It, it's And so they just don't have an identity within this flow system. Mostly because I mean, Rajon Rondo for all of his talents, as a pick-and-roll player, you don't, you don't want him to be the focus of the offense in a pick-and-roll system because the defense is more than willing to give him a three-pointer or a jumper. And he, for as well as he's been shooting this year, he's not even willing to take those shots. So when you do your job and, and the defense collapses on whoever the, the screener is, he's not even taking the advantage that the defense gives him. Where, where Rajon Rondo can be really successful is in creating chaos and taking advantage of defenses that make mistakes, but not necessarily as your primary go-to guy on offense. And that's unfortunately, I think one of the quirks with this team is that Rajon Rondo is dictating the terms of engagement on the offensive side of the floor. And you have guys like Darren Collison who are really good, who would if you just took a little bit from Rondo and gave to Darren, I think that the balance of the team would probably work out a little bit better. Entering the ball into the post uh, to DeMarcus Cousins, Darren's definitely going to be a lot better in that regard. Uh, Omri Caspi did a good job with that the other night. That's a whole the, other issue. Yeah, that, it's a whole other issue. That we, I mean, we'll we'll discuss it. But you but, know, what but I mean? yeah, the off it, when you don't have an identity on offense and you start missing shots. All of a sudden, especially guys like DeMarcus Cousins, but even Rudy Gay, even Omri Caspi, 
Rajon Rondo, I don't see a lot of letdown, you know, when, when something doesn't go well on offense. But, like, it's just natural for guys to feel frustrated, to feel like their energies are being wasted, to not have buy-in. And then when you, when you match that up with a defensive system that they're openly complaining about, it just becomes one of these kind of big old messes. Yeah, self, self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, and I'll even point out, too, like, uh, one of the issues that I see is when you see Bellinelli take one of these ridiculous shots, how many people out there have played basketball with somebody and you're playing with some dude and he just keeps taking bad shots and you just keep sitting there going, I can't believe I have to play with this guy. And your shoulders start to slump and you stop getting back on defense because you're like, well, I'm not going to get the ball anyways on offense. So, you know, you just start, it takes the the whole spirit of the game and just flushes it down the toilet if you don't think that demarcus cousins teammates want him in the block scoring baskets you're crazy because when he's shooting those those uh you know front of the rim jumpers that he's been hitting uh, i mean he's been missing for the last like three weeks when he just keeps hitting the front of the iron the whole team is just like oh god stop shooting it when Bellinelli keeps taking these wild, off-balance things, everyone on the whole court's like, that was like not just the worst shot that I've ever seen, but there were four other guys that could have done something better, and you did that. And you start to get this sort of this negative vibe going on. And Carl talks about this all the time, this the, the karma of basketball and how you know there's there's energy and positive energy and negative energy and you've got to keep the negative energy out his offensive system is creating negative energy i hope he knows that because a lot of the time it is fully creating negative energy because no one wants to play with that guy no one wants to play with the guy who's doing what's what he's not good at and and not what he he is really good at you're sitting there you're frustrated it's like look if i'm playing in a pickup game and i've got a six foot ten guy and there's a bunch of six foot four guys all around him. I'm gonna keep feeding that dude. I'm gonna let him dominate the game because I want to win. It's not about me. It's about scoring. I someone said to me the other night um, that they said Kawhi Leonard said that the biggest moment for him was when Greg Popovich pulled him aside and said, "Look, when I run a play for you, it's not so you can score a basket." it's so the San Antonio Spurs can score a basket. And that's when the light bulb went on. And that's what I don't see with the Sacramento Kings yet, but the potential is there for them to be really, really good. And that's, I think, the thing that kind of confounds people is you're seeing this team get wins while you know they're chopping their own arms and legs off <laughs> yeah. before they go into the game. And so then you start to ask yourself, well, what if? And that was when Mike Malone was, or pardon me, Michael Malone was able to tap into the team's talent last year and the Kings were, were taking teams like Memphis down or actually they lost that game, but yeah, they, they were, they were we don't want to go there. Like 26, I think. Yeah. But they, but they made Memphis look who Memphis was good at the time. They made Memphis look small and weak and it was really hard to wrap your head around because nobody had seen that out of a Sacramento team in, in ages. So um, you see that this is there and on the issue of Carl, his, his thing is going to have to be this season is just tapping out on this concept of the offense. The, the minute he does that, then things start to get dramatically better for the Kings on the offensive side of the ball, and then there will be carryover to the defensive end. And while they're at it, they got to scrap whatever complication is, is, is breaking down their defense. I don't think that's going to fix everything, but you know, might as well, if you're going to do one, might as well do the other. But Their defense has actually been pretty good over the last like two weeks. I mean, it, I mean, comparatively, they're down about five points per game over what they were giving up, and that's I pretty. I think if you hear an opposing player who's not really trying to like make a point, go and say, "Yeah, we have no idea what those guys were doing on the on the defensive side," and that's what Jared Dudley came out and said. I mean, it to me, there's clearly something wrong there. It could be a Jedi mind trick. It yeah, could. Well, it very well could be. I leave the door open, Un- untie me, and leave the door open. I, I have not seen that movie. Drop uh, your gun. 
I, I need to to get out and see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm the only one in America who hasn't seen that movie. Yeah, Aaron needs to uh, have the force awakened in him. All yeah. right, so let's get to a couple other things. Uh, we don't want to keep you all day because clearly you need to go and have a good time on Christmas morning and do all those all the festive things that happen. And if you're not a holiday guy or or a girl and you're listening to our show, you're just going to have to ignore the fact that I'm wearing a elf onesie. It's been uh, very hard to take you seriously throughout this entire podcast. It has been. Well, you're wearing an elf hat, and I can see you wearing your elf hat, so take that, Aaron Broski. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this. Uh, this one thing, Doug, Christy, and I have been discussing this a lot when I'm in studio, and that is this the the issue of Omri Caspi. And I think that Omri Caspi is a missing link. Uh, I had predicted before the season began that the starting lineup would be Rondo, Macklemore, Caspi, Gay, and Cousins. Uh, I was wrong, um, it, but I'm, I don't think I was wrong about what the lineup should have been. And I think Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, they were trying to bring along a rookie. George Carl was trying to say, look, I can bring along a rookie, whatever, but it, it wasn't working uh, just because the team wasn't winning. And I'm not blaming that on on Willie Cauley-Stein. I blame it on the fact that Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, is green and doesn't know what he's doing half the time and the Kings didn't know how to hide it. And, you know, you're just, you have all, he was too green to be playing as many minutes as he was playing number one, which I didn't think he was going to to start the season, and and also number two, whether the the numbers said it or not, I, I just I don't buy that the the actual game was playing right. So let me get back to my my point. My point is that I think Omri Caspi is a huge part of what the success is of the Kings right now. The, his ability to get out and run, his ability to switch on the defensive end and not have like a massive mismatch, which the Kings have been running into all season long. Him and Rudy Gay can switch back and forth, which is about anyone. He can even guard twos. I, I think that that's really helped. But this team, and this is kind of getting back to the eight-man rotation, they miss Omri Caspi, the bench player who comes in and does all the dirty work, sort of that Eduardo Nahra type of guy that George Carl has kind of relied on in the past. So when you're running a three-man bench and that three-man bench is is Kufus, your big, who, who's out there to foul and, and to, to protect the rim, and you're running Collison, who's out there to give a change of pace from Rondo, and you're running Bellinelli out there, who's running around shooting three-pointers. I think he's he's had one dunk on the season, and he's only had like six layups. Uh, everything else has been a jump shot from Bellinelli. So my point is, somebody else has to be out there doing the hog work and, and and getting dirty and smacking people and setting picks and doing all these things. And I think that they are missing Omri Caspi on the bench, even though I think he's the answer on the starting lineup. They need to find someone else. I think it's Quincy AC. But Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? I'm really pleased with Caspi's play this year, uh, but I'll just since get this out of the way before I praise him a whole bunch. The quirk that he's got to get rid of is and one fouling. I think he leads the league in and one fouls. I think it's a European thing, um, if I had to guess, because guys in Europe, they, they believe in this foul um, on the fast break. They, feel, they believe that, that it, if you feel like you have a defensive disadvantage, it's time to foul. And whatever the case may be, he's got at least 15 if i had to guess just mind-numbingly bad tap him on the shoulder for no reason <laughs> and it's an and one so that's his thing costa kufos his thing is that if he gets the ball within 12 feet of the hoop that shot's going up oh it's, yeah he's twisting. yeah he, i don't think he's passed once out of that situation all year i mean it's probably happened but i would love to take that bet that it that it has or that probably that it hasn't happened but back to to caspi he is almost a mandatory guy to have on the court right now because of the fast break. Number one, he runs the fast break so well. And then two, he's willing to shoot a three-pointer, even if it's an ill-advised three-pointer. Sometimes the Kings absolutely need him to, to shoot that ball because they're not getting good looks anywhere else. Um, he does do a little bit of everything. I think uh, Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated put it like this. He rounds out the King's sharp edges that he's going to, I think, you know, even when Willie Cauley-Stein comes back, I just 
don't think you can take Caspi off the four. Typically, you only want to play him like 25 minutes a game because he does do the stuff like like you said or I said on defense. And in general, I think you you want a guy with his talent level to be playing a little bit less. But for this team, he's absolutely got to play more. Uh, whenever Willie Cauley Stein gets back, it's almost like you can't blame a season on an injury like a four to six week injury but because of where the kings are and where george carl put him by not trusting him and and we'll disagree on his impact on the floor he was a guy to me that was giving you good plays and bad plays um and the bad plays were the, the plays on offense where he's not really an asset um defensively though i think that you know, he's absolutely been one of the Kings better players when, you know, back in the first 10 games when he was on the floor and creating uh, havoc defensively, he started to, to lose his confidence. The injury happened. And I think it's going to be hard to integrate him now. I, I don't, I don't see him playing more than 20 minutes a game when he gets back. Yeah. And, that's pushing it. Yeah. And that's, and that's too bad because we're talking about an elite defensive player for a team that has terrible defense. And, <laughs> That should be maximized. If you if you have a hole and a weakness, especially for an up tempo team, and you have a guy that can defend two through five. You know, maybe not all the heavy fives and maybe not all the really quick twos, but this is a guy that realistically, for the Kings to be operating at max, you know, at their max potential, he should be playing at least twenty five minutes a game. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think you can develop him in the middle of January or February. And expect great results. Certainly not if you're pushing for a playoff spot. No, no, not at all. You needed to get that out of the way in the first 20 games. And that's where Carl, with his kind of stubbornness with the the rookies and such, that's where he kind of missed the boat. And then you get this kind of freak injury. And now it takes Willie Cauley-Stein off the table for this season. Okay, so let me... This is what I think should happen. I don't think this is what will happen, but this is what I think should happen. I think that Carl should go back to a nine-man rotation. He should use Quincy AC in that rotation to go in and beat people up and do the dirty work and scare people and try to block shots and hammer balls down when he gets a chance. And the things that Quincy... He can even hit a three ball. I like what AC brings, but here's what I'm going to... My point. My point is if you bring in AC now and you start giving him that... I don't know, 12 to 16 minutes a night, and and he's holding his own, and he's doing what he can do. I think what you're actually doing is you're carving out the niche for Willie Cauley-Stein to come back and step into. And so when Cauley-Stein comes back, sorry, Quincy, you're going to go back to the bench because we want this guy to, to develop and to be the guy that we want to do this. And plus, his defensive ability should be so much higher than AC uh, as far as like a help defender and stuff like that. AC's actually a, a pretty decent man on defender and he, he can block some shots. But what I, I think that they should do is is they're wearing these guys thin. And I think AC, he has the ability to run. He has, he has the ability to do some of the things that Cauley Stein does. But if you're able to carve out that niche for him now, it will be easier to trans, transition back to Cauley Stein uh, you know, next month, whenever he comes back. And the strange thing is, honestly, I've got nowhere with when Willie Cauley-Stein is coming back. The original injury was four to six weeks. I've now heard it might be six to eight, but, uh, but I'm getting like, literally I'm getting nowhere. What I do like is that the Kings have him running in the gym. He's been working on his cardio the entire time. And the other thing they have him doing is John Welsh is actually working with him a ton on him using his left hand and he's developing his left hand while he's out and can't use his right at all. And so, you know, again, these are positives that a rookie can take. He can watch a lot of film. He can learn the game from sitting on the bench and watching, which might be what he needed to do anyways. Mm-hmm. There there has to come a point, where though, where Willie Cauley-Stein dedicates himself to all of this, to film study, to weight training, which has been an, a massive issue for me. I don't think he's strong enough to play 25 minutes a night. He does not rebound well enough, and and it's not just he doesn't know how to play the angles. Even when he does box out, sort of, he still gets pushed around in the post, and he gets a ball taken from him all the time. He's not strong enough, and those are things that he needs to work on. It's really hard to work on those things when you don't have a right hand. I I, I understand that, um, but 
I think he's still a ways away, and it's why when I saw him in training camp, I started to predict that he would not play nearly as much. When he came out and he started playing huge minutes, at first I thought, okay, well, maybe this will work. And then the more I saw it, the more I saw that he was such a liability on the offensive end, and not because he is horrible offensively, but because he's timid offensively and he doesn't want to get in the way and he tries to just clear out and get out of the way. Well, it, it doesn't work when you're playing four on five on the offensive end. And well, also add Carl's system. Si- yeah, I was going to say, Carl's system, I mean, it, the the vets aren't figuring it out. It's kind of hard to expect uh, Willie Cauley-Stein mm-hmm. to get in there and figure it out. And yeah, I mean, that's just one of those quirks. You know, you, you take a gamble as a coach and you say, I want this guy to play this way or I'm not going to play him. And, you know, about 10 games in, when, when Willie Cauley-Stein makes a mistake, he gets yanked. When Marco Bellinelli makes a mistake because he has Carl's trust, he doesn't get yanked. No, that's true. You know, and that's... It's same with Ben McLemore. Same with Ben same McLemore. Same with Ben McLemore. He gets that, yanked. Oh, he, yeah. man, that was a terrible... When Ben Mac, I forget how many minutes he got. It was like 16 minutes. And the difference between him and Marco was like night and day. That... And in of itself, when you do that as a coach, you're you're doing it for the long term. You're saying, if if you don't play the game the way I want you to play it, then you're just going to ride the pine. But this Sacramento Kings team, like Carl doesn't have four years of leash. He doesn't probably have one year of leash if things go bad. You know, so he, he really, I think, has to be successful now. And, and not try to build the offensive system of the future or, you know, revolutionize defensive basketball, <laughs> you know, just win now. And, and, and with every win, this team gets more positive karma and it solves everything, especially for George Carl. It does solve everything. I, I you know, they had the three game win streak. And then after the three-game win streak, they've gone two and two win. I mean, loss a win, a loss a win. Uh, if they could have won that, uh, the game in Minnesota, which again I, is just like is such a stumble, they would have been building on a four-game win streak. Uh, and then you know again they won in Toronto, and next thing you know you're it's starting to snowball and you're right in it. Well, the Kings are right in it, and I I brought this up before. Uh, the Kings are obsessed with making the playoffs. They have a big board. Everybody looks at the big board every day. Uh, they want to know where they're at, and they they know full well that they've blown it, and and they feel that every single time. I think that can be a negative thing, but it can also be something that helps you build towards something. And I, I like to see what what that something is because I keep saying this, but the teams that are around them in the standings, they have so little potential to get better. And the Kings have so much potential to improve just by improving chemistry and understanding each other better. And I think we're starting to see that growth happen. If the schedule lightens up and gives them the opportunity to start snowballing here to win, again, we're looking at they've won five out of seven at this point. That's really good. If they can stretch that out and next thing you know, they won you know, 15 out of out of 19 or 15 out of 20, you're starting to see a team really, really get some positive momentum. The West is there for the taking, not just the eight seed, the seven seed, the six seed, they are there for the taking. This is a, the Western Conference is not great like it has been in the past. It will not take 47, 48 wins to get into the playoffs. We're looking at like 41, 42, maybe to get into the playoffs and I think the Kings are are a team that is primed and ready to take one of those spots. And I, I will stand by my prediction that they will make it. That you're talking predictions here. Forty-seven was my prediction, based mostly off of a team that I felt would play at like say seventy-five percent of their capacity. That's all very abstract and whatever. The I'm not taking forty-seven wins off the board for this team because. At 12 and 17 right now, they've played about as bad as a team can play. I agree. To get these <laughs> wins. And so even when they win, you're like, man, that was ugly. Yeah, it's like the ugliest win you've ever seen in your life. It's and it's terrible basketball. I don't know how anybody could in good faith say that they've played any good games. I mean, it's really terrible basketball. And so 
you think then you juxtapose that to where, okay, well, what if they do all these things that we've just discussed? It would be a nightmare for the rest of the league. I mean, I, I really, so I'm not taking 47 wins off the board because until, I mean, the math on that is really bad. Like they have to go, <laughs> they have to go like, I don't know, it's win like math. 75% of their games, <laughs> 66% of their games, something like that. It's not, it's not friendly. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not looking, but we're not yet at a point where the math is impossible. And I feel like seeing them pass it into the post a little bit more. You know, hearing it, I mean, you guys on the telecast, I think anybody that knows basketball is like, what are they doing? You know, put it in the post, people. And I think they'll get that message. I think slowly there will be pressure on George Carl to to throw the towel in and 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 start going um, in these directions we've discussed. And if that happens, I just think that they can win those two thirds of those games or or the three quarter, whatever it, whatever it ends up being. I think that that team has a lot of talent. So. Talk to me in about a week or two, but as of right now, I'm not willing to be like, oh, that'll never happen. So my 47 is still alive for another week or two. All right. All right. So we can't keep you all day. Uh, let's get to a couple of uh, a couple of basic things that I want to cover before we get off to the podcast. Number one, uh, the King season of giving. I, I really, really want to tip a hat to the uh, DeMarcus Cousins, who's done incredible work both in Sacramento and in Mobile, Alabama, uh, the Santa Cuz stuff, it might seem like a bunch of drummed up stuff that people are pointing to. I just want people to know out there that there is so much more that Cousins is doing that you don't know about, and his agent is putting out as much as he can to try to make him look better. Uh, but that really... He, it's only the tip of the iceberg with this guy. He actually is a very, very generous and uh, honest to goodness, you know, good story, if if you will. Um, he is doing so many things off the court that people just don't know about. Uh, also, Rudy Gay doing great things off the court in Maryland. Uh, ben McLemore continues to be a an incredible ambassador uh, for the NBA, both in St. Louis and Sacramento. He does shopping sprees. He's a kid that had nothing growing up and wants to help kids. You know, I, I think one of the, the things that he's done in the past is he doesn't just take kids out and buy them a bunch of toys. He does that, but he also takes them out and has them buy gifts for their mom or their dad uh, because those are things that, you know, that they need to learn as well, how not just to get a gift but also how to give a gift because that is something he's being able to do and it's really an incredible thing that Ben McLemore does. So I want to give a shout out to the Kings that are out there in the community and I, there are others. Almost every single one of the Kings does something incredible in the community that you guys just don't hear about that there aren't cameras rolling on. Um, it, it's the way it goes. You know, Jason Thompson, uh, now with Golden State Warriors, one of the most generous NBA players you're ever going to run across and uh, this is a, a good thing for NBA players. They are visible and out there doing incredible things in the community. So hat tip to that. Uh, on that note, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts? Um, you know, building off of your point, um, I, I think that you know, go out there and do something nice for somebody, you know, whatever your act of giving is, and then don't tell anybody about it. It's the best feeling in the world. Um, as far as a final thought for the Kings... Other than get the ball in the post, <laughs> I think Aaron I, I, has I, that tattooed. I, I did. I got that tattoo right next to my "No Regrets" tattoo. No regrets. Um, uh, oh, I got a final thought. One thousand retweets. You got to do it I, oh, so I can tweet geez. this picture out because this picture is priceless. Oh. This is one one. <laughs> we James can beat and a buddy the elf onesie. Uh, yeah, that would be intriguing, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, Aaron, but you know what? Yeah, stranger things have happened. Never I never underestimate Kings fans and their social media. That's, Come on, that, you, you know that. That's true. That's true. All right, so uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I would like to extend my most uh, great, gracious Thank you to all of you listeners. It's been a wild and crazy year for both Aaron and I. Lots of changes in what we do and how we do it. Uh, but we love doing the podcast and coming and sort of serving you each and every week. 
I hope that you continue to like what we're doing here. Uh, if you do, turn to iTunes, make a comment, uh, you know, like us, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff, whatever you have to do. Um, but this is something that, that we really feel like it adds to the coverage that we give on the NBA and we really enjoy doing and we will continue to do that. It's been a very good year for both of us. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the Kings Insider podcast. We will be back next week.